church. I'm a maths teacher. Thanks, John. There's, a, there's some celebration out there somewhere. Um, I work at a school called King Solomon International Business School. Some of you kind of walked that journey with me about two years ago when I was applying for a job, and I really appreciated your support at that time. Is a Christian all through school that's growing in the city centre. So we've got reception children, year one, year two. We've got year seven, year eight, year nine. And eventually it's going to go from reception all the way through to sixth form. Um, they're going to study, the, study the IB rather than A-levels. And it, it's the first of its kind in the country um, for a number of reasons. So it is, it is, it is very exciting. Um, last year, I became... Oh, no, it was this year, wasn't it? Last academic year. I became acting principal for a, a good few months, which is possibly why you've not seen me up here, I hope, because I kind of took a little bit of a backseat from the preaching. I think Stuart gave me a break. I don't think it was due to my bad preaching previously. Um, but in the previous building, you know, I was, I was up here a little bit. Um, just, yeah, just, I had to get a bit of mental capacity just while I was in charge of the school. Fortunately, our new principal started now, so I'm back as vice principal in our new building this week. So those of you that have walked that bit of the journey with us, we're no longer in a tin hut. We're now in a seven-story building, the Waterlinks building, in the centre of town, which is a beautiful place to be. So that's kind of who I am. That's a little bit about my background, and I'll share a bit more as we go. I'm, I'm going to talk about me and my wife for a minute. Sorry, Phil. I didn't agree with this you before, but you'll be absolutely fine. Don't panic. Um, we, we like to watch a good box set, okay? We like to watch a good film. Um, but those of you that are married or in those kind of relationships, I'm sure you have similar conversations to we have. It's trying to find something we both want to watch. Okay? Now, for me, sorry, it's all about the action. I love a bit of action, you know, car scenes, fighting, running round, all that kind of stuff, kind of the, you know, the CSI type stuff, NCIS, or the superheroes. I, you know, I enjoy the, the kind of the exhilarating bit of the storyline. Okay? Whereas Philippa, my beautiful wife, um, she likes um, the relationships. She likes to see that character develop. Um, she likes to see, there's always kind of a key relationship, isn't there? Um, kind of male-female relationship that's building. We were watching NCIS LA for quite a while. Kenzie and Deeks, will they, won't they? Are they going to get together? Oh, they, oh and they didn't. Oh, they nearly did and they didn't. So she's kind of loving all that. I'm enjoying all that. Ah, oh, they're running around like fighting people and saving the day. Um, so we're trying to find things that we both enjoy. Relationships, character development, kind of action over here. Um, and so we find a few things. Flash is a really good series for that. It's got the action, it's a bit light-hearted, but it's also got the relationships in it. Um, so kind of tying that into where we are in Joshua, um, we're kind of, we've been doing a lot of the scene setting. We've done a lot of the history. Um, we've had five chapters now of the kind of the approaching the River Jordan, crossing the river, entering the promised land for the first time. And the section of Joshua we find ourselves in today that we're starting is what some people kind of refer to as the warfare section. It's the action bit. We're about to embark on potentially the first battle, um, so it's the first bit of the warfare. Now, I'm going to ask Phil to just close her ears for a minute, and I hate to admit this, but in reality, the battle means very little, doesn't it, without the bit before. Okay? I'll even admit when my family went away a few months ago, I watched a war film 
and it was a pretty poor war film. But the way they built up the character, they introduced it to his family, his children, his wife, and then he left that family. Whenever Phil goes away, there's always a young child in a storyline, and this always gets to me. So he's left his little children at home, he's left his wife, and he's gone to battle, and you just know something bad's going to happen. It kind of, I was actually, sorry, crying um, a little bit, as kind of he's left his children, all this kind of stuff. But in reality, without the build-up, without the character development, without the relationships, the warfare's pretty meaningless. It, it's for nothing, it achieves nothing, and you really get nothing out of it. So the build-up is essential. Okay, the relationships, the character is essential. And that's where we find ourselves today. So we've had this. We've learned a lot about Joshua. We've learned a lot about his heart. And we're going to start going into this warfare phase. Um, two main themes to some of the warfare we're going to look at over the next few weeks. You've got God-given Israel its inheritance that was promised. But you've also got the aspect of punishing the local inhabitants for their wickedness. And again, we'll, we'll look at some of these themes as we go through today. So, big idea for today is God fulfills his promises. We need to keep him at the center and trust in his plans. We're going to look at these three themes. We're going to go through um, the passage, and we're going to draw out some things we can learn um, from the fall of Jericho. So, this is the first taking of the land of Canaan. The Israelites have crossed the River Jordan. They are in the first steps of the promised land, and... It's the first encounter they have with the Canaanites on this part of their journey. We've seen Joshua standing strong, courageous, seeking the presence of God, trusting in the word of God, acting upon his calling, leading the people of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land, demonstrating a faithful obedience to the word of God. And then here they stand, ready to receive what God has promised to them and ready to take what he has promised to them. Okay? This particular story is told in the most detail out of all the warfare bits we're going to look at, um, the importance of this city, the importance of its destruction, and the, kind of the, the detail in which they go into in this case just highlights how important um, this story of Jericho is going to be. Okay, So we're going to have, we're going to have a look through the passage um, first of all. Now, I'm going to need some audience participation. I'm a teacher. Apologies. I like audience participation. I've always got a few props along the way. So what I need to start us off is a Joshua. I need someone who's going to stand here right now and just let me... Um, you've got to be up for a bit of fun. Someone who's going to stand up or I'm going to pick on someone to come and be Joshua for me, Jonathan Craven. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Jonathan. Let's give him a round of applause. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> Apologies. I know we've got a good relationship. We'll be fine. Trust me. Okay, so just to help us kind of picture where we're at right now. So here is Joshua. Joshua is stood. Now, you are going to be the city of Jericho. You've got kind of a nice big rectangle here. I'm calling you the city of Jericho. So here Joshua stands. There's the city of Jericho. Now, he's got his fighting men with him. He's brought his fighting men out of the camp of Israel. So I need two fighting men. One, two. Let's go. Be brave. I will probably refer to you as a man, but if that's all right, I've got one. Thank you. So here are our fighting men of Israel. Now, let's just reflect... Yes. Um, no, we're on this. So here we stand, surrounded. 
by the fighting men of Israel. Now, bearing in mind where we are at the moment, so this is the second generation of Israel. It's not the people that left, is it? It's the, the next generation. So these people have been living in the wilderness for quite a long time, okay? And actually, they're fairly immature when it comes to warfare. They've probably done some drills. There's been some little bits of excitement, haven't there, along the way. But in terms of full-blown, all-out warfare, we're unfortunately a very inexperienced people. Okay? Now, as humans, there's going to be an element of fear and trepidation there, isn't there? Okay? So this is the first time we're entering real organized kind of warfare. So, um, people at war. I'm going to move. Hopefully, it won't feed back. If it does, it's my fault, not Matt's. So look at me, not Matt. So, Sarah, you were first. So while we've been in the wilderness for quite a long time, what I've been doing is trying to prepare some weapons. It's a little bit shoddy. It's a little bit homemade. But we're entering the promised land, and I've found you a sword. So I've given the swords and the weapons. Now, what we're doing here is we need to equip the whole army. But we're a little bit short of resources. I'm really sorry, because we left in a bit of a hurry. We've been living quite a long time. We've built as many weapons as we can. So we went round the camp, and what I found you was this. Okay? So, so be thankful you've got a weapon. It's not the best weapon, but it's a weapon. Is that okay? So here they stand, facing facing Jericho. So what are they actually facing? Again, historians will disagree slightly, but the general consensus seems to be. So you're stood there, we've got a wall. First wall, probably about eight foot, fairly solid. Okay, so we've got a big wall in front of you. Behind that, there's kind of a circle around the city of land where kind of the cheap seats, so the, the less expensive homes, possibly a bit slum, like lots of people living in this bit, in this region around the city. And that region of the city is built on a big kind of mud slope. Top of that wall, apologies, that hill, sorry, there's another big wall, okay, even possibly higher. Some people think there might have even been another wall beyond that. In essence, you've got about 14 metres, potentially, of land and wall ahead of you. So probably wall, land, wall, possibly another wall, okay? Thousands of people encamped in this city. Don't want don't to worry you at all here. Um, it's the harvest season. We read that in chapter 3. So in the harvest season, so they've actually already brought in all their grain and all their food. So there's a lot of food in the city. And when they look at the um, excavations of the city, they found something unusual. They found lots of jars, remains of jars, that they can tell, however they do this, they were full. So this city was full of jars, full of grain. They had a lot of food. They've got a spring in there as well. So they've got their own water supply. So not only have you got these giant walls and this giant mound ahead of you, they've got water, they've got food, they're going to be able to last this out a while. So let's think. Warfare strategies. How are we going to take a city? Okay? Weapons at the time. We've got short-range weapons. We've got things like spears, um, not spears, swords, daggers, close, you know, hand-to-hand combat. We've got slightly medium-range weapons. Um, so we've got things like javelins. Yeah, spears could possibly, no, don't. Uh, we could possibly launch that into the thing. And then we've got long-range weapons. So hopefully behind us as well, we've got some bows and arrows, some things we can project a little bit further. Okay? But looking at this wall in front of us, if we charge this wall, there's going to be casualties. There's going to be death. You've just brought these people, Joshua, from the, land, from the wilderness across the river into the promised land. You're thinking can't have thousands of casualties. We've got this strong defense. We've got mediocre weapons. We've got a little bit of limited training. This is the city that stands before us. Pretty dangerous, pretty difficult. So what other strategies have we got? 
What about a catapult? What about we get some big rocks and we launch them into the middle of the city to try and break down some walls? Good idea. Or maybe a dead cow infested with disease? Problem. Got about another thousand years before the first recorded use of a giant catapult. So I'm afraid we haven't got a catapult yet, unless we're able to quickly design one for me, okay? So can't do that. Now, I've got another idea. Shh, don't tell them what we're doing. Pop it on your head, pop it on your head, pop it on your head. <laughs> Just hold my hand, hold my hand. Stuart, I've got a present for you. I've, I've brought you a present. Would you mind taking it into your city? Just step forward for me a little bit, Jonathan. Right, good. We've got, we've got him into the city. We've, snuck, we've given him a present. Happy birthday, Jericho! Um, so, Joshua, you're on your own. You're in the city. Okay. How do you feel? A bit stupid. Okay. <laughs> I'll take the box off then, sorry. Okay, so maybe sneaking a few people into the city isn't going to be the way we're going to take it. Okay? So this is where we find ourselves. Don't move, just for a minute. Apologies. Let's walk back up here for a minute. So, that's the setting. Do you mind staying here just for a few minutes longer? Can I count? So, let's read the first bit of the passage. This is Joshua 6. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. So, although you're in this nice, secure setting, you're looking out and there are literally tens of thousands of people approaching your city, which is why all the people from the villages have poured into the city to try and get safety. So, it is full of people and you're looking out thinking, oh my word, what is going to happen? We're just going to stay put for a bit. Um, No one was allowed to go out or to go in, so it's tightly shut. So, this is a really severe and difficult problem for man. But for God, this is going to be easy. So it's really going to be a challenge for man. But this isn't man, is it, approaching the city. This is God leading his people into the city. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn, need some priests. Can I get one, two, three? Quick, in the middle here for me. Can two of you grab that box? You can stand there for me. Just in between there. Perfect. Here we go. Just building the picture. Uh, wait, wait. Seven priests will walk, so we'll represent seven priests, will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn, um, on, the, on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests, give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So that's the plan that Joshua has been given by God. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord's Covenant. It's a beautiful box, isn't it? Um, take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town. The armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. And later on, we'll see, we actually put some armed men behind as well. So can we have one in front and one behind? And we're heading that way, by the way. We're going around, so we're going that way, I promise. I'm not going to make you walk around seven times. So... 
How is God going to get people? Joshua, I might need your help here. So I've got armed men, horns, ark, armed men. Brilliant. Um, that's what you'd like to be. That's brilliant. What have they just done? These people who are coming to take your city, attacking starts, have just turned. They've just exposed their flank. You're in the city. Okay, you're a bit worried about these thousands of people surrounding your city, what is going to happen. But they've just exposed their flank to you. And I'd have thought from a military point of view, this is pretty dangerous. Because actually, if you stand on that rampart with your bows and arrows... I've got like a sound effect now, it's great. Um, they've, just, they've just exposed themselves. So not only are they not attacking you or trying to get across these walls, they're actually exposing their flank and they're going to walk around this city blowing their horns and carrying the ark um, and carrying their weapons around the city. This was God's plan. It's, the plan is more of a ritual thing, kind of a ceremonial procession, than it is warfare. This is not a warfare strategy, just to march around a city. Okay, there's a bit of intimidation there. But Joshua marching his people around the city like this is exposing them to all kinds of trouble. Okay, he's trying to look after his people. He's trying to look after God's people. But this is what God has told him to do. Okay, so it's, it's more of a ceremonial sense um, about the presence of God and the power of God than it is about attacking your city at the moment. The number seven appears lots there, and number seven in the Bible is a number of totality. It's a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. So the emphasis is in the completeness of God's victory. Because actually, these guys don't need to fight this battle now. Because let's go back a few verses. God said, I have given you Jericho. So God has actually already won the battle. So all of this is just a sign to show actually God has given the people this city. He's given the people this land. This is just a ceremony for God to give the people the city. Actually, I had to stop myself calling this the Battle of Jericho because it's not really. This is the fall of Jericho because this was God's victory and God won the battle in the first place, um, not these guys. I'm going to let you sit down, but before you do... Got a little present for you for a little bit of embarrassment. So, this month's album of the month is Glory Song by Matt Redman. Okay, it has gone out on the link. I do encourage you to listen to it. There's some amazing songs on this album. Can I give you that to say thank you? And if anyone wants to grab a suite on your way back down, thank you very much. Let's give them a little round of applause. Okay, we'll, um, we'll speed up through the story now a little bit. So, have we got the scene? Okay, this is what we call the preparation phase. I've shared the objectives. Let's go through the rest of the passage. Um, I do appreciate you helping me out. Okay, here we go. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant, shall I move to one side so you can actually see the screen, behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout! So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day. Then everyone returned to spend the night in camp. Joshua got up early the next morning. 
So Joshua knows this is an important day. He's getting up early. What do we do on important days? We set the alarm an hour early and we get up early. He knew this was important. He did it back in chapter 3 when they were approaching the Jordan. He knew that was an important day. This is an important day. So day 2. The seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they marched around the town once and returned to the camp. And they followed this pattern for six days. We've had the build-up. It's been slow. It's been purposeful. We're setting the scene. We're covering the detail. Now the pace is going to start to quicken. Okay, we're building to the crescendo, the climax. Okay? They've been following the plans given through Joshua um, by God who gave them to Joshua. Everyone now is getting up early in anticipation because they know this is the big day. This is the day that they've been waiting for. This is the day that God has promised. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, so everyone's getting up. They marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around the town seven times. Seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in a house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the treasury. So the build-up continues. The volume amplifies. We're, we're raising a shout, and the language here um, from the, the original text can mean two things. You've got the war cry element. Same word was used in David and Goliath. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. So it's used as a cry of war. But also in the Psalms, the very same word, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So it's kind of a play on words here in a way. It's like double meaning. So we've got the, the war cry, but also the shout of praise to the God um, who has given them this victory. Um, it's not just reckless destruction. So we're seeing here them talking about things that are set apart for the Lord. Stuart's going to talk a bit more about this, I hope, next week when we go through Joshua 7. And we find out what happens when we don't follow God's plans. Um, so be ready for that one. Um, but the themes of warfare, fulfilling God's promises, punishment for sin. And he's added Jericho to this as an offering. It's a bit like first fruits, a bit like tithing. Um, so he's asked for the first fruits to be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord, everything for him. The people are to keep nothing from this battle. They'll be allowed to keep stuff later on. This is uncompromising consecration without possibility of recall or redemption. Everything in this battle is God's, but the victory was God's. So he has the right to demand these things. This is God's victory. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. The Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Notice the pairs there to show the totality. Men and women, young and old. Even the animals, even the donkeys. It's total destruction. Effortlessly. 
two verses there, effortlessly. Well, for God, this massive wall in front of them, the people, God, boom, two verses, it's gone. This is God's victory that he promised back at the start of this chapter, that he promised a long time before this through the scriptures. Um, So the focus has been on ritual preparation, building up to the taking of the city, but by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. It was God, it was God that brought down the walls of Jericho. Um, slight aside here, because I, I have to deal with this fact, and I'm not going to dwell on it for long, total destruction. Some people kind of wrestle with that. Now, I'm not going to go into all the, kind of the debate around this, but what we need to remember is uh, when people sort of say, how can a holy, just, loving God have commanded such harsh actions to wipe out a city, men and women, young and old, even the animals? Okay? Um, I think the, the, the quick answer, and by all means, come and talk to me about this later on if it's something you struggle with. Um, first response, God hates sin. God says there will be a consequence to sin. He did that at the beginning. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Eat fruit from the tree, consequence, banished from the Garden of Eden. He does it throughout history. He uses people like Moses, doesn't he, to remind the people and give warning. There is a consequence for sin. When we do something wrong, deep down we know there's a consequence. Do we? Do we think? At school in our new building, when the kids poked the roof tiles out on Friday, they knew there was going to be a consequence. Yeah? Um, And there was a consequence. Um, So there will be a consequence for sin. So maybe we should be thinking, well, okay, if we're all sinners, the whole of humanity was sinners, all had fallen short of the glory and holiness of God, everyone deserved punishment. So maybe the question is, rather than saying, well, how did God order this? Maybe the question should be, why did he choose to punish the Canaanites rather than the whole of humanity? Because all of humanity was sinners. Um, so what was distinctive about the Canaanites? Again, Stuart's mentioned this. Um, Leviticus talks about many of the sins in chapter 18, if you want to have a look. Um, incest, adultery, child sacrifice, homosexual activity, bestiality. Um, lots of things going wrong. Um, evidence outside the Bible confirms that. They had hardened hearts. Um, they were rebellious against God and his people. The Canaanites sought to destroy Israel on at least three occasions. So not only were they sinning against God directly in their actions, they were attacking the people of God, trying to stop them. And God had said through Abraham, he would curse anyone who cursed Israel. These people had attacked the people of God. Okay? And also, God wants Israel to keep itself holy. He doesn't want it to be tainted by the sin of a nation that's gone off in this awful direction. He talks about in Deuteronomy, this will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. This is the first step into the promised land. God is saying, get rid of the sin. Let's give Israel a good chance here to go into this land okay, without being tainted by the sin of the already inhabitants. Um, and pause for a quick action there before we read the last bit of the passage. We know there's a consequence to sin. Okay? We can look at why God decided in this part to um, destroy the city of Jericho, to, to wipe out this particular race of people. And I say, do come back to me and talk to me about it in a bit more detail if you want to. Um, we all deserve punishment. 
But our punishment was placed upon Jesus when he died on the cross. And when he rose again three days later and defeated sin, that was for all of time. So our punishment has been placed on Jesus. Um, there's mercy, there's redemption for those that put faith in him. And I think we just need to be absolutely sure if there's anyone in here who hasn't made that decision to trust in Jesus, to believe in what Jesus did, to let him take the weight of your sin upon his shoulders, you're basically lining yourselves up when Jesus returns to stand before Jesus and try to argue your way into heaven. And the Bible says quite clearly that's not going to happen. Okay? The only way to be restored to God for eternal life in the new heaven and new earth is through Jesus Christ. So we have to live in the, the fullness of belief and faith and trust that all of our punishment that we deserve as sinners in this world was placed upon Jesus Christ. And through him alone and what he did on that cross, taking our sin, fully man, fully God, raising on the third day um, to defeat death and ascending back into heaven to sit on the throne... If we accept that, we, we can kind of go forward in that assurance that actually when he returns, whether we're here on this earth or we're raised from the dead at that time, we will go with him into the new heaven and the new earth. So I, I would, as I beg, encourage, implore, you know, if you haven't made that decision yet, start that journey. Trust in Jesus and see what happens. Because personally, I'd rather be walking with Jesus on that day not standing in the group of people that said, actually, I didn't believe that. I didn't trust in that and trying to argue my way into heaven because I think it says in Scripture, that's not going to work. We've got to go through Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we argue. It's not about our actions. It's about trust and faith in Jesus. Um, so God does punish sin. God will punish sin. If we want to be walking with him, um, let's put our trust in him. Let's finish the chapter. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, all the other relatives who were with her. They moved the whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. We've already listened to Rahab. If you missed that preach all about Rahab, go back and grab it off the website. Um, key thing is here, Rahab was saved because of her faith. What made her distinctive to the Canaanites was her, her faith in the Lord, and she demonstrated that through her actions, through her words, through her heart. She lives among the Israelites to this day. It's a lasting effect. It might be talking about her, might be talking about her family, but it's a lasting effect, okay? Um, and that was what God said was going to happen, therefore no one could stop it. At that time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. And this curse highlights the permanence of the destruction. Um, there was a man later on in the Bible, you can read in 1 Kings 16, if you want the full story, um, a ruler who rebuilt the foundations. His firstborn child died. He rebuilt the gate. His youngest son died. God said this would happen. Joshua said this would happen. It did happen later on. Look it up in 1 Kings 16. 
And then we finish with this wonderful statement. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. We finish with this final reminder that although Joshua led the people and his reputation grew, God holds the victory. The Lord was with Joshua. This was God's victory. This was God's battle. It was a gift to the people um, as they went into the land. So let's tie this up. We're coming towards the end now. I'm just going to go through these three um, practical points I think we can get out um, from this passage. So the first one up there. Trust in his promise and mysterious plans. Does God usually act in a predictable way? What do we think? Look at Jericho. Look at the battle. Look at the way he, he gave them the city of Jericho. Look at the way he restored us with the Father by sending his son, part of the, sending Jesus to earth, fully man, fully girl, to die on a cross and raise. It's not something we'd have probably predicted. He doesn't always act in predictable ways. Okay? And we need to trust him. And I would encourage you to trust him in a number of areas. For one, salvation. I've talked about that quite a bit in the destruction bit, but it's so important. We might not fully understand what God did on that day. We might not fully understand all the detail of that. But the only way to be saved, the only way to be restored with the Father is through what Jesus did on that cross. And if you want to pray that through, talk that through with someone, grab them at the end. Grab me, grab Stuart, grab someone else. We'd be you know, delighted to talk that through and pray that through with you. We're called to go and make disciples. I think sometimes that can feel a bit like we're circling the city. It can feel a bit like, I feel called, I feel connected to these people, so I'm going to keep talking to them, I'm going to keep loving them, I'm going to keep helping them, I'm going to keep inviting them to Alpha, I'm going to keep inviting them to check, oh, they're coming! Oh, no, they're not. They're coming to Alpha! No, no, they're not. And I think sometimes it feels a bit like we're circling and circling and circling. But the day is going to come. A bit like when the walls fell on the seventh day. I believe for some of the friends and family that we've been praying for and we've been showing God's love to and our love to, that at some point those walls are going to fall, they're going to give their lives to Christ um, and they're going to know him for all of eternity. Um, sometimes God speaks to us directly with promises um, and I would just encourage you that if God has promised you something specific, you know, he said to us, we'll be a large, influential, reproducing church, 20, 30 people sat in Banner's Gate in a little hole with these promises from God. Was it going to happen? Well, look at us. Look at what we've achieved as a church because God is with us. Not because of who we are, but because God is with us. So let's trust in his promises and let's not discount them just because it's taken a long time. It might take a while for God to fulfill his promises, but he knows best. Trust in godly leaders. Um, I shouldn't put the word mysterious in this bit. The first time we met Stuart, I still remember the day, walking, we were on like a weekend away for someone's 30th birthday. Um, we were walking through and just chatting with Stuart. I just knew one day I was going to follow Stuart to plant a church somewhere. And that was years before they even started talking about planting. And actually for me, when we followed Melanie and Stuart up here to Birmingham, it wasn't, sorry, about coming to Sutton Calford. It wasn't about coming to Birmingham. For me, it was all about the vision God had given Stuart and Melanie for a church. And when Stuart talked about his vision for church, I was like, yes, I want to go with Stuart. Okay? And that's how I felt called to come here. Okay? So just um, let's honor our leaders, godly men and women 
who are with God. God is with Stuart. It said at the bottom there, didn't it? The Lord is with Joshua. The Lord is with Stuart. The Lord has given Stuart vision. He's given the leaders of this church vision. So let's get behind them. Let's trust them. If we're following someone and we believe they're godly and they ask us to do something and we think it's a little bit strange, sometimes I think we just need to trust them. This has come from the Lord. We can debate it. We can talk about it. But let's trust them and let's follow. I knew nothing about Sutton Coalfield. But I knew a lot about Stuart and I knew a lot about his heart and I trusted him when he said God has called me to this town and I followed. Um, keep God at the centre. Where does your strength come from? God was at the centre of the procession as they walked around the city. The Lord was with Joshua. Let's, let's keep God at the centre of everything we do. Let's live a Christ-centred life. Why was Israel victorious? Because God was at the center. They were obedient to his plan. They were faithful to his plan. And they kept God at the center of everything we do. The way we act, the way we speak. Where do we turn when we're afraid? When do we turn when we're upset? Where do we turn when we're full of joy? What is our natural response? Who is there? Just um, over the last week or so, a friend of ours, dad, had a stroke, which could have been terrible, couldn't that? The repercussions of what could have happened. Lost his speech, lost his sight, couldn't read, couldn't write. Um, awful, awful situation for them to be in. And all we did as being distant friends in terms of geography, you know, we're thinking and praying for you and your dad. Okay, they're not Christians, they're not saved at this time. Okay, and we do talk to them about prayer and stuff, but we, um, do I look to my wife? I'll look this way. Um, you know, what, how do we respond? We're praying for you. We believe in a God of miracles. What does he respond? I won't read you the whole thing. Um, my dad has recovered far more than I ever hoped. Um, obviously, I don't believe in miracles, but if they happen, maybe this is a small one. And then he came back and texted again, say thanks to the big man upstairs if you speak to him today. That's someone who doesn't profess to know God in the way we would do, but we're just saying we're praying for you and your family. He's saying, say thanks to the big man. Might be circling that city, but I think those walls are going to come down. Um, and lastly up here, let's live in God's victory. Um, the walls have fallen. Back at the start of this chapter, it said, didn't it? God had given them the city. God has given us the gift of salvation. God has said that sin doesn't have to have hold over us anymore. We are free to live in this world without the burden of sin upon us, without that holding us down, without that blocking it in front of us. Let's live in freedom. Be hand if you've been on Freedom in Christ, here or anywhere else. Who's been through the Freedom in Christ course? Just be honest, I'm not going to ask you for details. Look around you. I, I'm amazed by the impact I think this course has had. And if you know nothing about Freedom in Christ, Sarah, just jump up, come and talk to Sarah. It's a course that just helps you to get that truth inside you that in Christ we were set free. We don't have to live carrying burdens. We can give them to God. He will take them from us. And I think sometimes we start to let walls build up again. God said, don't rebuild the walls because there will be a consequence. Don't let walls build up in our lives again. And for me, that's, oh, I quite enjoyed that, but it was a little bit naughty, so I'm going to go back and do it again. Oh, that looks interesting. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to go and do it anyway. And I think we can just sometimes start to let these walls build up. And before we know it, 
this kind of walls built up there. But actually, it's not a solid wall. And Jesus has said there doesn't have to be walls of sin in our life. And we can pray and we can talk to Jesus and we can walk through that and break free again. So please walk in the freedom of what it is. This was God's victory at Jericho, but it is a picture for us in this time that the victory is the Lord's. He has broken the walls down, not because of what man did. Man did nothing. They circled a city. God brought down the walls. God has given us the gift of salvation. Most of us in this room probably know that already, but we need to keep walking in that freedom with the walls down. Did the band want to start coming up? Because I will stop talking, I promise. Um, And it's just essential. So this is kind of what I got out from this. There's so much in this passage, but this is where I landed. I need to trust God even when his plans seem long-winded and mysterious. Sometimes they're fast, sometimes they're long. I'm not going to try and second-guess God, but I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in the people I've chosen to follow as leaders because I trust they have a relationship with God. I'm going to try and keep God at the center of everything I do. The way I speak, the way I act, the way I worship, where I spend my time, I'm going to keep God at the center of the way I am. And I'm going to live my life in the full truth of God's victory. That actually, when I face an obstacle, I know that God is victorious. It says, I read this in a somewhere, sorry, I can't remember where. There are times when we find ourselves famous enormous walls, facing enormous walls that are impossible to break down by human strength. If we put our faith in God and follow his commandments, he will perform great and mighty things and give us the victory. And I would count sin in there. We have victory over sin because of what God has done on the cross, okay? So don't let it rule your life. Don't let it control you. If you can't pray through it on your own, I would get people around you. I would get on the Freedom in Christ course. And let's live in that freedom. Let's, can I get you to stand on your feet? Um, I'm just going to pray, and then Sarah is going to lead us in a time of worship. And we're going to continue to tell Jesus just how amazing he is, how much we love him. And if you need a bit of time to talk to God, do some business with God, take this time. Ignore what's going on here. Just be with God. Yeah, so just as we finish. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. Mm. Thank you for going ahead of us, Lord, and winning the battle on our behalf. Thank you for taking the punishment that was due to us upon your shoulders and for dying on the cross on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you rose again, you defeated death, and now you sit in heaven interceding on our behalf. What a beautiful gift. What a beautiful victory. And that victory is yours. Nothing we've done other than just trust in you, Lord. So I pray for us as a people that will stand in that truth, will walk in that truth. We will trust in you. There are people in this room, Lord, that need to know that trust at a deeper level, Lord. I pray you'll speak to them today. You'll remind us of things you've promised that maybe we've discounted. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that does not yet know you in that way and has not yet chosen to accept what you did and given their life to you, I pray they will not leave this building, Lord, without speaking to someone and saying, actually, I want to start that bit of my journey. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's worship Jesus together. Let's decide again to put him at the center of our lives, to put him at the center of everything we do and everything we are. And let's use this song together to express that desire of our hearts to him.
spring.